Well, good morning. Uh, If you'd like to, I'd encourage you to open your Bibles to John chapter 13. We're going to be in about four different passages today. If you happen to have a smartphone, you have the YouVersion Bible app. There's an event for this that has all the text in it. It's really handy to use it that way. Click on a menu, click on an event near you, and you'll see Curvinsville Alliance. That's a great way to follow along on your smartphone. But we're going to be in John 13 in a few minutes. We're going to be in 1 Thessalonians, Philippians, Acts. We're going to be here and there. This past week, I did what most of you did. I uh, went to Thanksgiving with my in-laws. And you know that saying that they say, um, if, if, they're, if you can't find the obnoxious, annoying family member, it's probably you. That would be the case for me uh, because they're delightful people. And I love, love, love being with them. It was a day that was marked by tradition. We had turkey and we had cheesecake and we had stuffing and we had cheesecake and we had pumpkin pie and we had cheesecake and we had football and we had cheesecake and we had euchre and other games. We had cheesecake. We had shopping. People were coming in at 229 in the morning. I know that because I met them when I was on my way to the bathroom coming in from shopping on Friday morning and we had cheesecake and we had all those other things, cheesecake for Thanksgiving that you might cheesecake have. (laughs) It was just a really good time. I love being with that family. They're so lovely. They're good, good people. I love being with this family too. The Kermansville Alliance family. I love being with you. You are family. We use that kind of language, family, to identify ourselves. I think of you, I think of Randy Farley as my brother, and I think of Elaine as my sister, and you think of me as that, in that way as well. That's the way we talk about each other, brother and sister. We even sing about it sometimes. You know, there's a, there's a song that's 200 years old called Blessed Be the Tie That Binds. I'll bet most of us could sing it by rote because we've sung it and sung it through the years. I love the last stanza of that, how it says, when we asunder part, it almost sounds like they're writing it 200 years ago, doesn't it? When we separate, it says, it gives us inward pain. And it does, you know? If we could not be together, we would miss one another. And we're still joined in heart, and we hope to meet again, the stanza says. And there's other songs we sing like that. The family of God, bind us together, make us one. I'm thankful for my family family, And I am thankful for my church family as well. Being part of a church family is different than being part of any other organization. It's different than being part of a sportsman's club. I am part of the Glen Ritchie Sportsman's Club, and I like being part of the Glen Ritchie Sportsman's Club. Sometimes I go away from that club and I just laugh and laugh and laugh. If you want a good laugh, ask Dave Clark about his experience at the Glen Ritchie Sportsman's Club. It involves a groundhog. He'll be glad to tell you that story, yeah. Yeah, I love being part of that sportsman's club, but it's not like being part of a church. And I love being part of other things as well. Maybe you're part of a bowling league, but that's not quite like being part of a church. Church is different because church has an aspect of family, and so it is really a place that you can give love. Jesus sets that out clearly when he says in John chapter 13, and I think I ask you to open your Bible there, he says, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And church family is a place to give love. It's a place to listen to other people when they're talking to you and and understand what's going on in their life. And even as you're doing that, as you're listening to someone tell you about what they did over Thanksgiving or what, what they're planning to do this week or about a problem they're having physically or about some great thing their grandson did or maybe that they're going to have another grandchild. As you're listening to that, you're showing love. M. Scott Peck, who wrote The Road Less Traveled, it's not a Christian book, but it's a pretty good book. He says in that book, the work of love is listening. 
And so as you're sitting there and listening to one another, you're actually showing love to one another. A church family is a great place to give love. It's a place where you encourage one another to live well, your church family is. And that happens everywhere in your church family, from visiting together in the lobby and having coffee, to being in a small group Bible study and going through First Kings on Wednesday nights, or to having a ribs party in somebody's kitchen on a Sunday evening, you're enjoying one another and encouraging one another to make good choices. And you're helping one another turn away from that which is evil. And you're guiding one another to walk close to God. And as you're doing that, you're acknowledging that a church family is a place to give love. And a church family is a place where you can see someone's need and you can help them. You help them put a roof on their house when they're in the middle of doing that. That's happened at Kerbinsville Alliance before. You help them when a baby is born. You're delivering food, maybe, if they don't have immediate family to help out with that. You give them a ride to a doctor's appointment. Go and sit with them in the doctor. I got to tell you, if you look up the picture of the person who did that best, I think Judy Kim just reigns right there. But she is not the only one that does that sort of thing. Because many understand that a church family is a place to give love. And it's a place to receive love as well. To when you have a need, there are people there to help you because it's family. Now, we know this in our head, or we hear this a lot at least, but often people don't experience the closeness that a church family offers that is available to them. And I really kind of want to help with that. I want to look today at three different passages of Scripture that kind of light the way for this. And I want to tell you a little bit about how this sermon came about. I wrote a couple sermons this week. This is the last one I wrote, and I hope it's the best. <laughs> But, but really what, what I did is I was praying and asking God, show me how to communicate what you have for people. He didn't give me the sermon. He gave me three passages of scripture. They feel a little disjointed at first, but they actually all have elements in them that speak to you about times that you should turn to your church family. And as you do that, you experience the, the real benefit, the harvest of being part of a church family. The first time would be times that you might feel disconnected. This may not make sense, but I see it over and over again. When people feel disconnected from their church family, often uh, the solution would be to take some steps to connect with your church family, but instead, that seems to be the one thing we fail to do. Do you understand what I just said there? Because it was kind of awkward. I just don't feel real close to my church family. I think I'll stay home tonight. It's very common. I talked about it just a few months ago. It's so common. You might think, why is he still talking about that? Because I'm still seeing it. Because it's just so common. And so we say, you know what? I just don't feel connected. I think I'm going to stay home and watch TV church. Or I think I'll really just surf the web. I heard Amazon's having a sale. Uh, Maybe I'll go shopping. This would be a good time to go shopping. All those Christians are in church. I'll bet I can beat the crowd. Uh, Maybe I'll just sleep in. Now, as good as those things might be and as good as they might feel, that's not really a solution to the problem of disconnectedness. In fact, it actually compounds the problem. There are times you feel disconnection from your church family. There can be lots of reasons for it. The Apostle Paul was feeling a bit of a disconnect um, because of the circumstances regarding his relationship with his church family in Thessalonica. And I want you to look at 1 Thessalonians 2.17. And it's just one verse we're going to look at. And I want you to see the kind of language he he uses here. And there's a couple things I want to point out to you about this disconnect. In verse 17, 1 Thessalonians 2.17, he says, But brothers and sisters, when we were orphaned, look at that word for a minute, when we were orphaned by being separated from you for a short time, in person, not in thought, 
out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you. So the Bible says that when you find yourself disconnected from your church family, it's kind of like feeling like an orphan. And an orphan feels alone and unloved. And where can I turn? And who is there for me? There's no one here for me. And when you have that disconnect from your church family, that's how you feel. So what should you do? And that verse tells you exactly what you should do. It's at the end of the verse, we made every effort to see you. And so when I feel disconnected from my church family, what should I do? I think the answer lies in my own hands. Or maybe in my own feet, I need to make, make some tracks and get together with some people. Or maybe in my own wheels, I need to drive over to be with my church family. It's important to turn to your church family when you feel disconnected. Feels like a no-brainer to say that, but experience tells me it's not. Let me give you another important time to turn to your church family. It's when you desire meaningful friendships or relationships. We're going to go to Acts chapter 20. So if you would, turn to Acts chapter 20. We're going to read a number of verses from there in a few moments. Every human being desires meaningful relationships. There are people who maybe they're not healthy, so they don't desire meaningful relationships. I don't know if you know people like that. Chances are you don't because they've chosen to be reclusive. They've chosen to be kind of hermits and they feel like they can live alone. They don't need other people. Maybe you have a crazy uncle like that. I'm not sure, you know, but There are people like that. The Bible actually speaks about that right from the get-go. In the book of Genesis, when God creates Adam, he says the words, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him, appropriate for him, a companion. Now, we usually, we take that to marriage and we drop it there and say, so Adam needed a wife. It's not good for man to be alone. He needs a wife. But it's gotta be broader than that. Here's why it has to be broader than that. If you just say it means a wife, then you're saying single people are incomplete. And single people are not incomplete. Jesus was single. He was complete. So it can't mean if a guy doesn't have a wife, well then, that's a problem. What it means is if a person isn't seeking meaningful relationships, they're not going to be healthy. Meaningful relationships are essential to healthy living. And in a church family, you can find those kinds of things. In Acts chapter 20, we're going to start reading in verse 17. I'm going to skip a couple verses as we go. I want to give you a little backstory here. The Apostle Paul is going to call on some elders, some church leaders from Ephesus to come and meet him because he wants to say goodbye to his church family, to these men there um, on, on the shore, so to speak, because he's leaving. He's leaving the region and he's going to go to Jerusalem and he's saying goodbye. I want you to just hear the language here and see how meaningful the relationships these people had were with one another. Chapter 20, verse 17. From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. When they arrived, he said to them, and this is kind of his farewell speech, you know how I lived the whole time I was with you. From the first day I came into the province of Asia, I served the Lord with great humility and with tears and in the midst of severe testing by plots from my Jewish opponents. I know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardship are facing me. However, I consider my life not worth I consider my life worth nothing to me. 
My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Now I know none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of any of you, for I have not hesitated to proclaim the whole will of God. And then he gives them a little bit of counsel in the next verses. Jump down to verse 36, just for the sake of time. It says, when Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. Listen to verse 38. What grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again. Then they accompanied him to the ship. Now don't stop reading. In the very next chapter, in the very first verse, it says, after we had torn ourselves away from them, we put off to sea and stay old, and it talks about the journey. So Luke is writing there, and he's part of that group. Did you catch that language in verse one? After we had torn ourselves from them. That sounds like some people who had some pretty meaningful relationships. That sounds like some people who loved one another deeply. By the way, that language, doesn't it sound odd for the Bible to say, torn ourselves away from them? Doesn't sound very King James-ish, does it? It's interesting to me, the NIV is the only, the only major translation that states it that dramatically. For example, the English Standard Version says, after we had parted from them, we just left. And, and other versions say the same thing. So I'm looking, I'm thinking, what's the NIV wanting to emphasize that these other good men and women aren't wanting to emphasize or haven't bothered to emphasize what's going on here. And when I do that, I love that. It's like a game for me. Let's look at what Greek words here, you know, and kind of play that game. I am not a Greek scholar, let me say that. But I, I have computers <laughs> and they're Greek scholars. Here, here's the deal. The word that is used there that, that, that says torn away or parted in a different translation, it, it's the word draw. Not, not like draw with a crayon but draw as in draw something out. After we had withdrawn, you would say, if you wanted it to be pretty literal from them, torn ourselves away from them. So you think, well, if the word is withdraw, why did the NIV scholars say, let's make it torn ourselves away? It, it appears three other times in the New Testament, that word does. One of the times that it appears in the New Testament is when someone who's with Jesus draws his sword out. That's a pretty dramatic thing, to draw your sword out. Another time that it appears in the New Testament is when Jesus withdraws from his disciples to go over here to pray in the Garden of Gethsemane and he sweats, as it were, drops of blood. That's a pretty dramatic thing as well. There's a third time that that word shows up and it's a time when Paul, and it's in this chapter 20 actually of Acts, it's a time when Paul says that there are people who are gonna withdraw from Christianity and assort the truth apostate. That's a pretty dramatic thing. And I think that the translators of the NIV were just thinking to themselves, this word is always used to mean something pretty dramatic. And they just cried, cried, because Paul said, you'll never see my face again. And you can hear that, right? You can imagine what they felt like. And so Luke doesn't just say, so after we said our goodbyes and went off, Luke says, after we withdrew from them, like Jesus withdrew from us to go and pray. That kind of withdrawal. You don't withdraw that way from anyone unless you have a meaningful relationship with them. And they had meaningful relationships 
Because that is what the family of God has. And when you're hungry for a meaningful relationship, turn your attention to the family of God. And when you're feeling disconnected, turn yourself to the family of God. And third, turn to your church family when you feel like the enemy is winning. When you feel like the enemy is winning, turn to your church family. In your Bibles, flip over to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. We're going to read a portion from there. I was uh, privileged to talk to a, um, a friend recently. He's about 28 years old. He's a really smart young man. He's one of the smartest people I know. He's a husband. He's a dad, <laughs> a new dad. He's a Christian. He's an athlete. He cares about people. He rode his bicycle across the United States of America and back once or twice, I don't know how many times, in order to drill wells uh, in Africa, in a place called Morale in Africa. So he's a kid who cares about people. He's 28 years old and I call him a kid. What does that make me, right? I am twice his age. That is scary right now. He's an athlete. He was a straight-A student at Albright College, a private college that he went to. And now he's a public school teacher. I love talking to him because he's smart and he loves Jesus. As I was talking to him, uh, I I brought up current events because I've never had trouble talking politics with him. A lot of people you don't want to do that with, right? But that's never an issue with him. And so I said to him, so what's your perspective on what's going on in our nation as far as politics go? And his answer surprised me. He said, well, I don't really pay any attention to the news. I deleted all those apps from my phone, so it doesn't alert me to anything. And I never read the news, and I never watch the news on television. I said, why not? And he said, it's just too depressing and too disturbing. Now, while you might think to yourself, I don't know, I think Christians need to be informed about what's going on in the world. I disagree with that 28-year-old. You can't disagree with the idea that what you see going on in our world is depressing and disturbing. It is. And it feels sometimes like Satan is winning. It can feel that way on an international scale. It can feel that way on a national scale. It can feel that way on a state scale. It can feel that way in your own family like the enemy, is winning. So where do you turn when you feel like the enemy is winning? And you know the answer. You turn to Jesus. Yeah, but, but where do I turn? Where can I go? And you know the answer is your church family. Listen as I read to you from Philippians chapter 3, starting at verse 18, and we're going to go all the way to chapter 4, verse 1. The Apostle Paul is writing to his favorite church. Verse 18. For as I have often told you before, and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Now listen to 4.1. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. Here's what I see going on in that text. The Bible says there are a lot of bad things going on. There are people who live as enemies of the cross of Christ. And that would move you to tears. 
And there are people who are going to hell. And that should cause you great grief. And there are people, <laughs> there are people who are worshiping the flesh and pleasure and trivial things. And there are people who, who things they ought to be ashamed of, they're proud of. And it can seem like the enemy is winning. Ah, but brothers, you who I love and long for, my joy and my crown, my dear friends, stand firm in the Lord. You see, there is something about being with your church family that kind of puts things into balance. There is something about being together with your brothers and sisters in Christ that the music could be kind of off-key and the preaching could be really bad and maybe, you know, just nothing seems to be happening programmatically in the church, but because you are with your brothers and sisters in Christ, it was a good thing to be in the house of the Lord that day. It brings about just a sense, church family brings about just a sense that everything is in balance and it's going to be all right. When I first started ministry, I started in June, and then we had a baby the following October, so just over a year later, we had our first child. And I can remember, you know, as a young pastor in a, in a struggling church that was on redevelopment that had a lot of bills, it was very un, unsettling to me to be in that job. It was hard. I, I always like to say my rookie year lasted for a decade, you know? And I can remember one time, I don't know, Laurel, if you remember this or not, but I can remember one time just talking to her about, this is just so stressful. I feel so frazzled. And she said, me too. You know, this is weird, Steve, but when I hold Tim, that goes away. Now, Tim was our infant son. I said, give me that baby. (laughs) And you know what? She was right. There was just something about holding that baby that put a lot of things into perspective and gave me a different balance. Being with that family, family, even though Tim had no capacity to fix things, even though Laurel was just consumed by being a mom as she very well should have, and she couldn't fix things. But when the three of us were together, something happened in my spirit that was healthy. And in a much larger way, when you are together with your church family and you're feeling like the enemy is winning, when in your spirit you embrace those around you, a sense of calm belongs to you. Andy prayed for the peace that doesn't make any sense for the pastor that we prayed for a few moments ago. That's what you get from church family. That's what you get from being with church family. Whether it's on a Sunday morning for worship or a Wednesday night when you're studying 1 Kings or a Thursday evening when you're eating too much pizza in a men's small group or a mom's group or wherever it is, being with family lets you know somehow that the enemy does not have the last word. So be with your church family. Make that a choice. Connect with them. Be intentional about it. That's what the Bible talks about when it says, brothers and sisters, when we were orphaned by being separated from you for a short time, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to connect with you. Don't like being separated, being orphaned? Then make it your purpose to connect. This past Sunday, this past Sunday evening, after the baptism service, after the wedding, the Sunday evening group that meets here in the sanctuary 
got together at Bob and Bethany Livergoods for Geo's ribs. I've lived here 22 years. I'd never had Geo's ribs. What is wrong with me? I blame all of you for never taking me there. It's your fault. I got to tell you, those ribs are stinking good, but the company was better. I love being there in Bob and Bethany's house and watching Bethany as she told John and Gail Peters and Janet Billet and Doris Haynes, she said, you know, when we first moved here, you know how every family has, every neighborhood has that family? Well, when we first moved here, we were that family. And then she told the story and, and everyone's laughing and experiencing the joy of being together as a family. Peggy, Peggy Bloom is sitting over there listening to Rex. I don't know what Rex was telling her, but he had her captivated and she was just so interested in that. And it was a beautiful thing to see. And, and Bob is showing pictures on his phone of the time that they had gravel hauled in on their driveway and, the, and the, the truck tipped up like this and then it tipped over on its side. He had pictures of that video, that being picked up and everything. And people were connecting in very casual ways that probably didn't feel very spiritual, but they were. They were. We make a false dichotomy between what we foolishly call the spiritual world and the real world. <laughs> What is wrong with us? They were connecting. Be with your church family. Take time to connect. Several years ago, a group of us went to a Star Trek movie down in State College. We went down, you know, because some of us are real nerds. Some of you don't understand Star Trek because you had a problem in school. But, but it's good. <laughs> and we went down there and we watched the movie and then we went out afterward and we ate dessert and we had a great time together. A couple Christmases ago, the elders said, hey, we should all go out to eat. We took our wives and Josh brought the kids and we all went to, uh, what's that place that old people eat? Cracker Barrel. I don't like that place. I don't like Cracker Barrel. But you know what? I love the company and it was great to be with them. It was a way to be family. The worship team, we said, let's go out to eat. I said, let's go have sushi. And Donna said, I don't like sushi. I'm not going to eat sushi. Donna, it's not the fish. We're not talking about the fish. It's a fellowship. Bring Cheerios. You'll be fine because we're just there to be family. But because we are family, we went for Mexicans so that Donna could enjoy it too. It was a way to connect. Group of retired men in our church get together every time one of them has a birthday and the pastor buys them lunch that particular day. It just about breaks me to do that. It doesn't hurt me at all. I love doing it. Why do we do that? Why do those retired guys go out to have lunch together. Why? Because we're family and we enjoy being family. A bunch of us get on our motorcycles. Other people get in their cars. We head up to Benazette. We go in and we the Benazette Hotel. We went up and saw the elk. I thought the elk were a myth. There they are. There's real elk up there. And we're together and we're talking together. We didn't pray. We might have said grace. I'm sure we did. But we didn't pray. We didn't read the Bible. We didn't, we didn't like have any kind of a church service or anything like that. We were just together and we were connected and it was holy. It was holy. Do you understand that? Take time to connect with your church family. Second, recount the things that your church family has meant to you and has given to you. Think about it. What have you gotten from this church family? What have you received? Because when you ponder what your church family means to you, you're kind of doing what, what they must have done in Acts chapter 20 that made them say, we'll never see his face again. We'll never see his face again and made them grieve because they knew that that church family had had a huge and profound impact in their life. And to think of one of them leaving, it was heartbreaking. What has your church family done for you? When I was doing my internship uh, in New Stanton, Pennsylvania, the pastor there, his name was Jim Haddon, and he did a great job with my internship in a two-week period of time. He really let me get my feet wet. We even had a baptism service, and that gives you wet feet right there. 
he also made it a point to try to get us into people's homes. And, and so we went to this one house and I don't remember the family's name. I just remember they were an older couple and he was always sick. He had a chronic physical ailment. And so there we were in their home and they gave us good old fashioned meat and potatoes. You know, it was just, it was like being in Pittsburgh, you know, and, and eating at the table of a 70 year old couple 30 years ago. Can you imagine what that felt like, right? And in the midst of all that, this elderly woman said to me, Steve, I want to talk to you. I want to tell you a story. I said, sure. She said, I want to tell you what this church means to me. She said, when on Thanksgiving several years ago, I had to call the ambulance. My husband went to the emergency room. And I called Pastor Haddon and I said, Pastor Haddon, would you please put my husband on the prayer chain? We're going back to the emergency room again, like we'd done over and over again. When I got there, the pastor was there to meet me on Thanksgiving Day at about one o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> now some of you are looking saying, I wish I had a preacher that good. <laughs> but here's what I want you to hear. It's not that he was a good pastor. It was that he had a good idea of what it meant to be family with that couple. See that? I, early on in my ministry, I almost quit for a number of reasons. <laughs> but one of those reasons was this. I realized that when I did that, when I showed up, people were like, oh yeah, the pastor's here. Good, he's supposed to be. I mean, you just can't help but think that thought. The pastor, I called him and asked him to be here. He's here. That's what he gets paid for. I almost quit though because my thinking was, I love doing this. I love showing people the love of Christ. Wouldn't it be cool if I were a layman and I could do this? And it would, because I'm going to tell you, when you show up for one another, the love of Christ is shown in a way that Pastor Haddon and Pastor Shields can't show it. It just means something different. I'm not going to say it means something more. It means something different. It means family. I'm the kind of person that tends to forget <laughs> the good things that have happened in my life. Are you that kind? Then take some time to ponder this afternoon while you're waiting for the Steeler game. Take some time to ponder what your family means to you. And third, celebrate the transformed lives in your church family. That's what it's talking about in Philippians 4.1 where he says, my brothers and sisters whom I love and long for, you are my joy, you are my crown. I have seen things happen in your life that I didn't ever expect. They're so wonderful and so beautiful. It's just great. Do you see that happening in your church family? I do. I see it all the time. You know? I'm gonna call a couple people out. Scott Brubaker. I told you this in a small group the other day. I have seen you grow in Christ so much in the past couple years. I love seeing that, brother. I love seeing that. Such a cool thing to see that, isn't it? How about this? Baptism last week. We had three little kids who from their infancy have had a church family that cared for them physically and spiritually and teachers who told them the gospel. And you got to know, once again, before I dunked them last Sunday, when you were singing, I was talking to them saying, so you're saved. When did this happen? Talking to them about Jesus, talking to them about their future discipleship, because now that they're baptized, they'll still be in a church family that will disciple them. Transformation. Wow. Vicki Blake. Wow. You hear Vicki? Yeah, that's the way it is. He baptized them and they never come back. <laughs> she was baptized last Sunday. Her mom sat right there. Is that where you were, Doris? Yeah. I looked at her mom. She was crying. I thought, what a wimp. 
No, I didn't. And here's the thought that I had. That woman has prayed for that woman since she was a baby. And this church family, I know, has prayed for Vicki for at least two decades. And she was baptized last Sunday. That's transformation. If that doesn't light your wick, wow, you need a new wick, right? That's just beautiful. Celebrate that. Celebrate the transformed lives of your church family. You know, Thanksgiving, getting together with family, it it takes a lot of work, or so I've been told. My wife has told me numerous times, you know, this whole dinner did not just fall out of the sky, right? And just think about it for a minute. It takes the, the purchasing of the product. It takes the calculation of the amount. It takes the timing of the baking of that bird. And it, then you've got to time the baking of the pumpkin pie. And, and, and then you've got to just pray someone will eat the pumpkin pie. I don't like pumpkin pie, by the way. That's what that was. And, and, and then there's the cheesecake because Steve's going to growl if he has to eat pumpkin pie. And, and then there's the travel, the driving down. And then there's the packing, the unpacking. And then there's that bed. You know, that pull-out bed from the couch that has that torture device right here? It's like right here. There's that. And there's all of that, right? There's all that stuff there. Why do you do it? Because it's worth it to be with your family. It is the same way with your church family. It takes effort. It takes timing. It takes work. But it is worth it. It is worth it because of what God does there. 